The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, don't treat a hypo that hasn't happened yet. And going back to me getting off the plane in Dublin, seeing my parents, I was treating that hypo because I was so worried of my blood sugar dropping. I was treating a hypo that hadn't even happened yet. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Insulon Podcast. Podcast? Podcast with myself, Owen Costello. I hope you are sitting down with a cup of coffee, glass of wine or a beer or out for a run or a walk as long as you are ready to listen to everything diabetes. And I'm lucky enough to have Mr. Graham O'Toole. Graham, what's happening? I'm very excited for this week's episode because we've touched on the topic a little bit throughout previous episodes. But before we get to that, I want to know all about your week. Anything exciting happened during your week? Yeah, week was good. It was funny. It's it's like this whole week, I felt as if I've I was 10 years old again. And I've had that constant level of excitement because today directly after or immediately after this podcast i'm going to get my first dexcom cgm and it's such a weird strange thing to be excited about but uh for somebody who has been consistently pricking his finger eight or nine times for the best part of nine years it's going to be a good break for my fingers so i'm looking forward to it so can you just explain to me exactly how this is going to be different for you now because when we hang out, I do see you pricking your finger. I just presumed that was how a diabetic had to live. But obviously, there's technology now that means you don't have to do that anymore. Or will you have to at any stage? Or does this just constantly monitor your blood sugar levels by this little handy device? So basically what it is, it's a CGM. So it's a continuous glucose monitor. For anybody who doesn't know what it is, obviously, including yourself, it's a little sensor that has a small needle that you pierce into your skin basically and it's stuck like kind of like a plaster or a big patch on your body and that small needle basically constantly monitors your blood sugar and then it's connected to an app in your phone that 
you'll be able to basically view your blood sugar as a graph throughout your day, when you sleep, when you work out, everything. So it will take a lot of the stress away from not necessarily knowing exactly where my blood sugar levels are at. And then I now won't have to prick my finger 10 times a day, <laughs> which is going to be great. But you will still so, have to manually inject insulin into your body. I will, yeah. So basically, when this like CGM is on me, I can view my blood sugar through my phone. I will see if it's high or low. I can get an alarm if it's high. I can get an alarm when it's low. So it kind of takes the guessing out of it, which is really, really nice to even imagine. And because I've only <clears throat> I've only actually used one for about I think only about a month. It was Jillian. Remember Jillian that was on the podcast before when I met her in the States, she basically gave me an old Dexcom that she had kind of lying around her house. So I used one for the very, very first time. And it was it was as if I didn't even have diabetes anymore. It was mad. Obviously, I do still have to inject with the insulin pens. I prefer that than the idea of having a pump. That's just me personally. But having the CGM is just unbelievable. Like I cannot wait. It's like it's like I'm excited before my birthday because I'm, I'm getting a present that I've been waiting for. Will it get to a stage where every diabetic in the world will have one of these? Because it just seems like it makes life so much easier. Well, yeah, ideally, that's kind of the goal for the time being until hopefully they eventually find a cure. But with the progression of all the technology nowadays, it, it really does make life so much easier. So I would love if every diabetic had a CGM to wear, but unfortunately that's not the case because as we heard from Eric a couple of weeks ago, who has been living in the States for all his life and is now in India, because things aren't included on a long-term health scheme and people kind of need a lot more money or insurance to fund their insulin and their their insulin supplies and monitors and technology and all that sort of thing. People basically just can't afford mm. it. If they were free, it would be fantastic if every diabetic out there could have one because it would certainly reduce the risks of people going into DKA with high blood sugar or going into you know, a, a diabetic coma or a seizure from a low blood sugar, you know? So it's amazing to see the advances in technology, which is kind of like, I know that my insulin pen is always my external pancreas, but the idea of having something on my phone as convenient as checking the time to tell me that my blood sugar is high and my blood sugar is low and then get an alarm sent, it's genuinely a lifesaver. Yeah, it's a complete game changer. But let's get on to the topic of this week's episode. And it's obviously everything is intertwined and, and related. And the topic of this week's episode is hypoanxiety. Can you explain to me what that is? So hypoanxiety is basically the fear of going low, having a low blood sugar at any time or in any place. So it's that constant worry, the concern the fear of thinking, oh my God, my blood sugar is going to drop if I'm out here or I'm talking to this person or I'm doing this thing or this activity. So it's definitely something that a lot of diabetics, probably all diabetics do suffer from because the most threatening aspect of living with diabetes in the short term 
is suffering from hypoglycemia. So hypoglycemia obviously is when your blood sugar drops. And when that happens, you only have a relatively short space of time to treat that low blood sugar. And if you don't treat it by taking glucose tablets or drinking a sugary drink, your blood sugar will continue to drop and you can potentially go into a diabetic coma or a seizure. And even then it can be fatal. So it's uh, similar to, let's call it regular anxiety that way in that anxiety is often caused by the thought of future events. So you will often almost automatically or, or instinctively think of the worst possible outcome for a situation. You know, it's, it's, it's almost our, our natural response to feel that way and to think that way sometimes being like, oh, we're going to a job interview. So, oh, what if this person asked me this and I don't know the answer? And you, you get kind of caught up in your own thoughts sometimes. And that worry can be at times very overwhelming. And it's similar to that with hypo-anxiety because that fear of going low is so intense that you will do anything to avoid it at all costs. So when people feel like that, they will basically pre-treat it and drink a sugary drink or have glucose tablets in advance to avoid that hypo. Now, obviously, because they haven't even seen their blood sugar drop, their blood sugar is now going to spike because they're taking all this sugar in, in advance, you know? So it's uh, it's something that it can kind of easily take control of your head because you can be so active and you can be going to work or going on a night out. And it's literally the last thing you want as a diabetic. And if someone suffers from hypoglycemia, is it you go into a hypoglycemic state? Is that what it's called? Yeah, hypoglycemic state. So basically, if your blood sugar begins to drop, you, as I said, only have a certain amount of time to treat it, to bring it back up. And the symptoms that you will often feel are, you know, sweaty, your heart pumping, your vision may go blurry, you're weak, you get very, very hungry, depending on how low it is. So it's it's like what I said, I think it was the first podcast where I was talking about the feelings of highs and lows, but it's like, there are obviously varied severities of, of hypoglycemia. So if you go lower and lower, your body is like crying out for glucose. And it's impossible for me to try and explain what that actually feels like to somebody who doesn't have diabetes. It's like when your blood sugar, when your blood sugar drops, it's like you're underwater because there is nothing else on your mind. And you have a short space of time to treat it before something very bad happens. And it's that sense of like the world closing in on you. And there's literally nothing else on your mind or your physical body. If your physical body could think, it would be saying, get me glucose now. Nothing else matters. I'm about to shut down. Get me glucose now. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like a horrible experience and thus why people would have anxiety thinking about the prospect of it happening. Because I presume most diabetics have gone into some sort of hypoglycemic state with different variations of it depending on the person. But the thought of going into it would 
completely drive you mental in certain ways. And have you had much hypo anxiety since you've been diagnosed? Yeah, like obviously with all type one diabetics, it's the same condition and disease, but we all have like our, our bodies all are different and we treat things differently and we'll react and respond to various medication and food and this, that, and the other. So the feelings of hypers and hypos are going to be different for each person a lot of the time, but they're always in the same bracket. But to give you a, like a good example for me since being diagnosed is like I've always had good management of my diabetes, but obviously nobody's perfect and inevitably with the condition you're going to have low blood sugars that's just the reality of it and i think the one that stands out to me the most with hypo anxiety is when i was coming back from the states so well it was just december gone i was on the plane and i was close to landing in dublin and i hadn't been home in a while and i think the last time i had seen my parents was I actually think it was over a year at that stage. So it was a long time. And I remember coming closer to Dublin and I was like, Jesus, I haven't seen my parents in so long. And I was, you know, those kind of nervous, excited feelings that you have. I was like, I can't wait to see my parents because I haven't seen them in ages. It's this momentous moment for all of us. And it's like this hugely emotional moment to kind of see my parents and them see their son after a long time and then i was like hold on a second what happens if my blood sugar goes low what happens if i'm coming out of the airport doors and i see my parents for the first time in over a year and my blood sugar drops and i'm like oh hold on i can't give you a hug and a kiss yet i just need to just need to take my glucose tablets to, <laughs> to bring my blood sugar back up so because I didn't want anything to kind of ruin that moment, I remember getting off the plane and eating <laughs> eating glucose tablets because I just I just wanted to avoid there being any chance of my blood sugar going low because I wanted to obviously run up to my parents and give them a, a, a big hug and a kiss. Um, so yeah, that, I think that one always stands out to me with the fear of kind of going low in the most inconvenient time. And then another time would obviously be when I was playing sport. So like I had said before, I've always been big into football and and kind of being active and stuff. And I used to, before a game or training sometimes, the thought of going low during a game would kill me because I want to be on the ball, both senses of the word. Like I want to be on the ball physically and I want to be on the ball in my own head you know, I want to be sharp. I want to be clued in. I want to be able to make the right decisions and be there for teammates, this, that, and the other. So I knew that if my blood sugar dropped, I would be out of the game completely. And again, the additional danger of that is when you're exercising, because you're already sweating, your heart rate is already up, you know, you can be slightly dizzy. Because of that, you obviously become desensitized to the feeling of a low blood sugar. So it's even more dangerous. Before games, I would eat a couple of glucose tablets and maybe a couple of rice cakes to treat that imaginary hypo that I had built up in my own head. An interesting one. And I often think now looking back because I was so unaware of 
your diabetes and your management before we basically started to get into talking about diabetes, me and you over the last six to nine months. And we were literally talking about this last night and I was thinking before I went to bed. Remember, we went on a holiday to Malta, me, you and our mate Dan. And it was like a five day holiday and it was at a festival. Would you get hypoanxiety in that sort of scenario? Because A, you're in a completely foreign country and B, you're going to be completely out of routine as well. And you will be consuming alcohol and stuff like that. And I remember at that stage as well, we were hopping on a bus and that was bringing us to a venue every night. So would that sort of scenario or similar sorts of scenarios on different holidays cause you hypoanxiety? Yeah, of course. It's it's uh, that was an unreal holiday. It was so way. good. <laughs> <laughs> you messed oh, me last night. Going, I was just thinking about Malta, yeah, and, and then I, I was sitting, thinking, I was like, "Geez, yeah, man, yeah. how did you deal with having diabetes over there?" No, stop. But it's funny. It's well, like, of course, I'm a big believer in not letting diabetes ever stop you from anything you want to do. If you want to travel the world, go do it. If you want to run your own business do it if you want like whatever you want to do do it don't ever let diabetes stop you from doing it and i've always had that mindset since i got the condition because i don't didn't want to necessarily let it stop me from doing anything that i wanted it to do but it's important that you don't let it stop you doing things that you want to do but it's also important that you always treat it with respect you know so when i think back of that trip we had to malta yeah it was amazing and it was like a lot of drinking, a lot of nights out, a lot of dancing or whatever you'd be doing on those trips. And it's like, as much fun as we had, diabetes was always kind of there sitting on my shoulder. And I was always, I always had to be clued in to how my blood sugar is. That's the unfortunate reality of it. You know, you can be in Malta at a festival for five days, which is amazing. But... You don't get a five-day holiday from diabetes. You still have it when you're in Malta. And you may not necessarily want to have it when you're at a five-day festival, but you do. And if you don't treat it with its deserved severity, it's not going to treat you well either. You know, it's diabetes is almost like a symbiotic relationship where I'll treat you well, you treat me well, and then we'll both benefit to an extent. So... Yeah, I would have had hypoanxiety a lot over there, but it was important that I kind of anticipated what I was doing for the day so I could avoid the likelihood of going low. And would you ever be concerned about losing control in terms of drinking too much that you maybe lose the run yourself in terms of drinking and then you aren't as on the ball when it comes to checking your blood sugars and stuff like that? Would you the anxiety of oh, if I drink too much tonight, I mightn't be able to look after my diabetes. Would that be on your mind as well? Here, my mother listens to this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> I only have three drinks and then yeah, I'm done. very good. He's always telling us to go home early as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mrs. Gale, by the way. Mrs. Gale, she, sorry. She'd, she'd kill you. But yeah, like again, it's it's like when you're away at a festival, no matter how many drinks you have, it doesn't change the fact that you have diabetes, you know? And it's obviously, I would advise people who are diabetic to, just like the adverts, drink responsibly and don't go overboard because it's not worth it. And 
you're putting yourself at a much higher risk if you do go overboard with drink because the feelings that you have you you become desensitized to and always take responsibility for your own diabetes even when you're out drinking like i know it's not ideal to kind of take a break and take your insulin or check your blood sugar or eat your glucose tablets it's not ideal but that's the reality of it and just for the record so if anyone's listening i have been out with Thorne many times and he's never lost control so uh it's very good i can i can vouch for that yeah thanks right <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm always uh i'm always very responsible with my diabetes and that's i'll joke about other things but and i will joke about my diabetes but i do always look after it it's very 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 important what is the lowest you've ever gone speaking of hypoglycemia don't remind me <laughs> so but the lowest i've ever been was 1.9 on my reading so that would have been about 34 us now that is minutes away from passing out seizure type of low um so it it's weird they're, they're almost kind of like traumatizing in their own way so when i had that low i woke up in the middle of the night and obviously it was my body's kind of natural alarm it was like wake up sort this out before you go too low and you don't wake up your body is like kind of giving you that kick so thankfully i woke up in time and i was like oh my god this is horrendous because you can just feel it in your body it's like it's just it's like you can feel it but it's also the whole experience is just like an out of body feeling it's like you don't even exist for that time until your blood sugar comes back up. It's really, really difficult to explain and to try and emphasize the feelings that you have in your body because it's something that you have never experienced before, Graham. Your body is literally shutting down, crying out for glucose. And check my blood sugar was 1.9. I was like, oh shit. I need to sort this out. So I like shoveled in about 10 glucose tablets. I lay on my bed for about five minutes thinking, please don't go lower. Please don't go lower. Please don't go lower. Thankfully, it kind of started coming back up. But I got to that stage where I now had just about enough energy to bring myself downstairs to get more glucose to bring it back up. Because still my body's like, will you fucking, will you? get me energy here you know i need to i need to survive so i got down to my kitchen and you look for well me personally i will always look for the, the most crunchy and sugary and chocolatey just something that has sugar so i didn't really have too much in the house apart from weedabix right and for, for somebody who doesn't know what weedabix are they're kind of like these cereal Biscuit. What are the grain like? Kind of cereal biscuits. They're dry wheat biscuits that are the driest <laughs> thing you could eat if you don't <laughs> yeah, add milk. And yeah. even when you add milk, they're still dry. <laughs> There's a good advertisement now for Weedabix. <laughs> Weedabix sponsors the Insulin yeah. Podcast. The driest thing you can eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, right, I, I opened up the cupboard and <laughs> it was only a box of Weedabix. And I was like, okay, th- this is it. You almost don't even make the decision of what food you eat <laughs> your body is just 
inhaling this food. So I remember I ate 15 pieces of Weetabix and then on top of that, like five slices of bread or something. I don't even know where the food went. You just inhale this food and then you feel like shit after it because you've eaten so much. And I remember anytime I have a low blood sugar during the night, obviously you're you're more out of sorts with how you're thinking and you're less clued in. So I always try and write down what I eat because if you overtreat a hypo or overeat as a result of going low, you're obviously going to have your blood sugar spike after that, you know? So you can go from really, 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 really low and eating loads of crap to then going way overboard and having your blood sugar spike through the roof. So, so I remember when I ate those 15 Weetabix, every one I ate, I did a little mark as if it was like, you know, you know, you do those scratches, like four scratches down and one across for five. It's like being on a cave or something. <laughs> so I was like, I was writing that on a piece of uh, kitchen paper that I had beside it. And when I kind of came back to life, I looked at the piece of paper and each line represented a piece of Weetabix and there was like 15 of them. And I was like, <laughs> I was like what? what have I just done? 15 Weetabix. People wouldn't eat that in a week. Uh, but the, the, the weirdest thing about it is when you're eating them, if there were more, I would have just kept eating them. You just keep on eating. So obviously I can, I'm starting to get a sense of why people have anxiety to getting hypoglycemia, thus the hypoanxiety. Can you get to a stage, I presume after that, your attitude changed towards it and you maybe did develop hypoanxiety. Can you start obsessing over getting hypoglycemia in terms of, can you start checking your blood sugars too often then because you're just completely obsessed with checking where you're at and if you're going low? For me, because my my blood sugar management has always been good over the years, I wouldn't kind of spend a lot of time with my blood sugars high. And because of that, over the years, I've become desensitized to the feeling of a low, you know, that kind of way. And that's part of the reason why I'm getting a Dexcom. So I may, might get down to f- like 4.5, 4, maybe 3.9, 3.8 on my blood sugar meter. And I may not feel it as much as I did years ago. So it's something that you can worry about a lot. I'm never going to advise people to check their blood sugar less because the more you check, the more of like it's easier to spot trends. It's easier to manage your, your blood sugar. It's easier to kind of identify the feelings of highs and lows at that time. Because if you're not checking your blood sugar, you essentially have no idea where your blood sugar is. It's all about preparing in advance. Like to avoid hypo anxiety or even just even experiencing a hypo, it's good to prepare, but don't over prepare. Now, what I mean by that is it's good to prepare in the sense that it's good to overall manage your diabetes well, live consciously, as I say, plan ahead, anticipate what you're going to be doing for your day, work out how much insulin you need for certain types of food, do your exercise, get your sleep, drink your water, do all the things you know you should be doing. 
from that, you will already be reducing the, the risks of hypos. Now, when I say don't over-prepare, what I mean by that is don't treat a hypo that hasn't happened yet. And going back to me getting off the plane in Dublin, seeing my parents, I was treating that hypo because I was so worried of my blood sugar dropping. I was treating a hypo that hadn't even happened yet because I had that fear of, Jesus, I don't want to see my parents after a year, year and a half, and then be like, hold on, I can't hug you yet because my blood sugar is low. I need to treat this. So don't over-prepare by drinking bottles of Coke or eating cookies or eating glucose tablets if it hasn't happened yet. I know it can be terrifying. I understand that anxiety around it, but it can be equally as bad as treating a hypo in advance and then having your blood sugar skyrocket and then going about your day with your bloods too high because that in itself brings its own problems. Now, not as immediate as having a low blood sugar, but you don't want to be walking around with your blood sugar high all the time. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not exactly ideal. That's for another episode, though. <laughs> going yeah. too high. Some really good advice in their own. Thanks very much for that one. Uh, we're going to move on to an email, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. So we have an email, of course. We've been pushing it. The Insulone Podcast at gmail.com if you want to ask Owen any questions. And this week we have an email from Chris. He says, how's things, lads? My name is Chris and I'm a type 1 diabetic from the US. I've always been into sport and keeping myself fit, but sometimes struggle to keep my blood sugar steady while training. I'm a big soccer fan, so I like running a lot, but I seem to go quite low often while I run. Any tips or advice you could offer on this would be great. You asked people to email in last week, so I thought I would. I'm really enjoying the podcast. Super informative and easy to listen to. A nice change from listening to my doctor. Thanks. And that's <laughs> from Chris. So first of all, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you getting in touch with the podcast. Like I said last week, I would love over the weeks if this podcast kind of turned into an open forum, more like a conversation between me, Graham and you. You can email questions or thoughts that you want answered or something that me and Graham could address. So uh, thanks, Chris. And I think the most standout point of that email is the fact that he said, all right, lads, and he's from the US. <laughs> Maybe he's listening to the podcast too much. <laughs> but anyway, look, it's the whole blood sugar issue with exercising is, is always a struggle. And I think it can take its toll on you and be very intimidating when you're exercising and you're almost expecting your blood sugar to go high or low because that's just kind of what it does. But if you said that you're into your, your football or your soccer and you love running and you see your blood sugar going low a lot, that's a normal response from your body if you're diabetic to have your blood sugar go low. That will happen to me too. You know, if I go out for a run that's longer than suppose 15 20 minutes i'd probably be dying after that time but if if i run for any longer than that my blood sugar as well is inclined to drop so as i said before it's important to be able to look ahead in your day look ahead and kind of plan out your exercise so if you know chris that you are basically going out for a run and you're going to be running for 30 minutes and you know that for the past week two weeks three months, six months, your blood sugar has dropped every time. 
it's important that you can kind of make those necessary adjustments to help prevent the chances of you going low again. So the two obvious ways that you could help prevent that are to basically take less insulin for your meal before you run. So that kind of gives your blood sugar an opportunity to slightly rise higher than you would usually like it, but not too high. And then you're, when you're running, because it's already kind of high, your blood sugar will naturally come down as a result of the running, but then not low enough into that hypoglycemic state, which is obviously what we want to do. And then the other thing that you can do is you just you can have like some fast acting carbohydrates before you train. So ideally for myself, I like to have even something like a small glass of orange juice or a rice cake or two or a small piece of toast, something that will kind of, again, keep you level or slightly raise you up. And then when you run, your blood sugar will naturally come down. Brilliant. So any more emails, if you are listening, theinsulownpodcast at gmail.com and hopefully we'll get to answering your question. And I think we're loving seeing people share the podcast as well when they're listening on their social medias as well. It's really great to see. Yeah, absolutely. There's There's been a lot of people sharing it on Instagram. You know, when they're out for a run or a walk, they they post the picture and then they tag me or they tag Graham. Really, really love that. I love to see people that are actively posting about it and the feedback that i've got from the podcast so far has been amazing honestly it's a really 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 nice means a lot to me means a lot that millions of diabetics get to listen to the podcast because you know it's something that i'm hugely passionate about and graham is now too so yeah thanks again owen we'll chat next week graham have a good week take it easy (laughs) 